Hey, Mason, I really need a good gift for my generic loved one. Any ideas? Oh, yeah, Andrew. I have the gift they need. If you sign up for GoDaddy's Economy Blogcast Package, you'll receive 1 gig of disk space, 100 gigs of bandwidth, recording tools, and much more. Whoa, with all those features, I'd guess that kind of package will run me at least $20 a month and be plastered with ads. You're wrong, Andrew. The Blogcast Economy Package is just $4.49 a month for 12 months. That's a deal and a perfect way to get your own website, blog, or podcast started. Ooh, yeah, that is a deal. Plus... Enter code Muggle when you check out. Save an additional 10% on any order. Get your piece of the internet at GoDaddy.com. Because Laura may be walking the plank, this is MuggleCast, episode 133, for February 23rd, 2008. So uh, last week we got a few complaints that we only had three people on the show, and uh, you know nobody's appreciative anymore of the uh, hard <laughs> efforts we put into uh, MuggleCast these days anymore. So so we said, you know what? Okay, all right, all right. You listeners are uh, cranky. You're bugging. You want more? This week we got six people on the show and a new host. Uh, I would like to welcome, on behalf of everyone, Elisa Montfort <sighs> to the show. Round hey of applause, guys. please. Elisa hey. Now, Elisa has uh, connections to MuggleNet. You, she's uh, a, what she's do you a do, girl. Elisa? I'm <laughs> true that <laughs> she's a girl too. Imagine that. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm one of the head moderators for MuggleNet fan fiction. Sweet, uh, MuggleNet fan fiction's been around for what? Oh God, Two three years and a half years. Yeah, it opened October wow. of 2004. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, Newbie. awesome. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Shut up, Eric. Newbie. <laughs> Five and uh, one quarter years here. Yeah. So, uh, Elisa, we're very excited to have you on. You're a friend of Thank all of you. ours. Um, Thanks. Are you excited? You said you were a little nervous. Yeah. I was a little nervous at first, but I think I'm good. I mean, yeah. I'm pretty comfortable now. Okay, good. All right. We're, we're confident you're going to be good on the show. I'm Andrew Sims. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Mike Tannenbaum. I'm Matt Britton. <laughs> And I'm Elisa Monfort. Micah Tannenbaum's in the MuggleCast News Center with this week's top Harry Potter news stories. Hey, Micah. All right, thanks, Andrew. As if anyone needed to tell us this, MTV published an article on Friday about research concluding that the Harry Potter series can, in fact, be addicting. 
The story notes, in a just-finished study that's being submitted to the Journal of General Psychology, psych professor Dr. Jeffrey Rudsky and two of his undergrad students at Mullenberg College in Allentown, Pennsylvania, report that they found characteristics of addiction in at least 10% of the 4,000 Potter fans they polled online. While the doctor discusses that the end of the series did have serious withdrawal symptoms for some, likening it to going off a drug cold turkey, he also said he chose to do the study on the end of the Boy Wizard saga over the conclusion of the hit series The Sopranos because of his 15-year-old daughter and the things she's taken from it. She's picked up guitar because she wants to be in a wizard rock band, he said. She's studying Latin because she wants to better understand J.K. Rowling's choices of names for her characters. She started reading Stephen King and John Irving because they spoke with Rowling at Radio City two summers ago. If that's being an addict, he's down with it. David Barron has revealed to the Herald Sun that a new scene has been added to the upcoming Half-Blood Prince film in order to remind moviegoers that nowhere is safe. Having J.K. Rowling's approval of the scene, Barron is confident that people will like it. He says, but this was brought in because Joe Rowling was able throughout the quite lengthy book to keep dropping little snippets of what was happening in the outside world. There'd be people reading newspapers and talking about how somebody's parents had been killed or somebody had been withdrawn from school because their parents didn't think it was safe. And we're making aware that the Muggle world is also experiencing these disasters, but thinks they are disasters rather than the work of Voldemort. The book is peppered with those moments, but we couldn't do that quite so easily in the film. So the extra scene comes in the middle of the film, and it just reminds us the world is no longer a safe place, even in what would normally be considered the safe haven of the borough, nobody's safe. Lois Lowry, a children's book writer, has updated her online blog with information about the Giver movie. She had hoped Order of the Phoenix and Half-Blood Prince director David Yates would be able to direct the Giver. However, he has just decided he wants to do the final Harry Potter first, thereby postponing the Giver by several years. While this is not confirmed by Warner Brothers yet, it appears to be a pretty reliable source. And a new MTV Movies blog entry comments on the Deathly Hollows rumors. MTV says that a source at Warner Brothers told them an announcement was coming within the next week or two, but we've learned that MTV may have not been told this at all. Finally, reports have emerged online that two new actors have been cast for Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. David Legeno will play the role of the werewolf Fenrir Greyback, and Ralph Ennison has been cast for the part of Death Eater Amicus Caro. That's all the news for this February 23rd, 2008 edition of MuggleCast. Back to the show. Okay, thank you, Micah. You're welcome, Andrew. Uh, you want to do um, a little competition this week, you were saying? You know, yeah, I'm feeling in a in a giving mood this week. Um, so I figured what what better way than to give somebody out there a chance to, uh, to read the news on MuggleCast. And uh, I'm, the way we're going to run this uh, little competition is... Anybody out there who listens to the show, send in a 30-second spot to uh, MuggleCastNews at gmail.com. And what we're going to do is we're going to go through and we're going to pick out uh, the top five. And then on next week's show, we're going to play the top five. And uh, we'll put up a poll on MuggleCast.com. And all the fans can vote to see who they think uh, is the the top uh, news anchor there. And uh, the following week, we'll have that person on the show to uh, record the news, and uh, that's it. Cool, cool. That's a, that's a great idea. I think everyone will. Uh, I have to say, it's one that. of the one of the most innovative, I think, competitions we've had here on the show. I think it's, yeah, I think it's a great. Uh, it's also you know 
competition is always welcome, but I'm thinking this late in the game, you know, we haven't had one of those for a while, and this is just a brand new idea. It's shaking things up. I like it. Yep. So that'll be, what, episode 135? Yeah, that sounds right. They'll, uh, we'll play, uh, we'll play the news for whoever wins, and hopefully it's a good competition. Yeah. Uh, can I enter? Can any of us enter? Do you really want to do that much extra work? I mean, isn't that kind of like what Mike is trying to do anyway? He's trying to get a week off the news. Uh, that's well, true. He'll still that's have true. to script it, won't he? Or will these people be in charge of scripting? And... No, it's it's their whole uh, they, they responsibility. They they have the MuggleCast News Center for the weekend? Yeah. They do. It's cool. You need to go to Mike's theirs. house. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all expenses He'll paid, lock you in except his for basement. flight, hotel, car. Yeah. I, oh, I'm sorry. I mean the transcript dungeon. He'll lock you down there. Speaking of news, a um, couple new developments this week uh, involving the movies. Uh, firstly, Reliable Source reveals David Yates is directing uh, Deathly Hollows. This uh, is a little leak that I'm sure Warner Brothers is not very happy about. Uh, Lois Lowry, a children's book writer, updated her blog online and uh, with information about The Giver movie. She has a book called The Giver. Has anyone read it? Yes, and it's so good. I is love it? that book. Oh my god! Would it be a good yeah. movie? If they do it right, yeah. <laughs> would David Yates be a good yeah. director? Yes, absolutely. I think he would be. But well, it unfortunately, doesn't look like he's going to get to. <laughs> so well, not yet. <laughs> not yet. She updated her blog and said uh, that David Yates has just decided he wants to do the final Harry Potter film first, thereby postponing the Giver by several years. That's an exact quote. So this is the. The nail in the coffin, if you ask me, in terms of uh, director rumors, right? Yeah. Well, it is kind of, but, I mean, it's not a totally official or anything. I mean, heck, I decided I want to do the final Harry Potter book or movie, but you don't seem, you know, it being official for me right. either. Well, I mean, what I'm saying, it looks like Lois Lowry and David Yates talked to each other a few times because apparently David Yates has planned on doing The Giver. But in my head, I see a phone conversation going down where, you know, they're calling each other up, you know, whether it's on Skype or, you know, they got their numbers through Facebook or whatever. <laughs> and they they called each other up and David Yates is like, sorry, Lois. I mean, I got to I, I, I'm going to do the Potter film first. And then she uh, proceeded to defriend him on Facebook. <laughs> yes. She, she wrote a nasty note about him, tagged him in it, and then defriended him because all of them have, have Facebook. But um, no, I think this is a pretty reliable source. To be honest, though, I'm I'm relieved. Like you know, I mean, because obviously, like, is reliable because you know he was going to adapt her book. She's a respectable author, and I I would I would uh, I would jump the gun. I would take this as official, or at least I would be very relieved because, to be honest, I think David Yates is very capable, and I'm really relieved. If he's if this is true, if he's doing the seventh movie, I'm really happy with that. Elise and Laura, what what is this book about? The Giver, just out of curiosity. Well, I read it in like in eighth grade, and it's basically Elise can probably give a better summary of it than I can. But it's about a world in which people are assigned their working roles like certain women are assigned as birth mothers and you're like assigned to work at a specific area and you're assigned a family unit and mm-hmm. in this um one boy is assigned um the role of being the giver and he can see in color when no one else can see in color and he just has all this knowledge that no one else has and it's a very very tragic story really really sad but 
really good. Yeah, yeah. Like the premise of it is sort of that humans aren't capable of handling all the emotions and senses that come with being human, which, like Laura said, includes seeing in color, but also hearing certain things and um, other things like that. And so there's only one person in the society at any given time that experiences all these emotions, including emotions like love and even laughter and hatred. And the giver is the only one uh, who's capable of doing that. And so every, like every time the giver sort of retires, uh, a new giver is chosen. And so the story is following this one boy who was chosen to be the next giver, but you know, just his trials and tribulations and whatnot. And it has a really awesome ending, but I, I, I'm really yeah. excited to see the movie. Well, cool. Huh. Sounds, sounds like yeah, too fun. bad we're going to have to wait four or five yeah. years yeah. now. Probably longer. <laughs> 10 or 12. Uh, <laughs> David Yates is uh, blowing her off here. Yeah. Well, well, is he still directing it, or are they going to choose a different director? Well, they could do that, too, but I think I would want David Yates. I think it's worth waiting a, a few years if, if he had really uh, sort of committed to do it, maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think I think the author has said, well, now it'll just take a more, you know, few, it'll be delayed a few right. years, because I think she really wants yeah, to. Yeah, that, that's how it seems. That's the impression I got, Eric, just that. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they seem to have a pretty good relationship exactly, between yeah, each so. other. Well, since we'll probably be directing the next Spiderwick Chronicles movie, I'm sure we'll be busy for like, the next ten years too. Uh, uh, Elisa, oh, you can yes. go on your Spiderwick <laughs> spiel slash jokes in a second. Rant. They're very funny. Please <laughs> do um, it. So, Andrew, yes, the question begs: If you were a betting man, would you say that David Yates will be directing Deathly Hollows? If I was a Micah, I wouldn't be a betting man in this situation. My, oh, he would be my a betting man. skills are not on par for this news item. However, um, another item in, that we're going to discuss in a second, I can be the betting man. Um, but another story that came out the following day was, well, MTV picked this up and went to Warner Brothers asking for confirmation. And MTV quotes Warner Brothers is saying an announcement should be coming in one to two weeks about the director, and I would assume, I assume at this point, it seems like they're going to make the director and movie split announcement at the same time, right? I mean, because yeah. both of these stories are floating yeah. around, and, you know, we heard the director split announcement is going to come in the not-too-distant future, and this now is in one to two weeks, so it seems like, uh, you it know. It would make sense. It would. I find that very interesting. Yeah. It, this mm-hmm. is, yeah, frankly, I'm, I'm very intrigued by all these, you know, developments and rumors going around, but, um, so apparently we're going to, be seeing official word about this within the one to two weeks. Um, you think so? <laughs> MTV thinks so. Uh, however, when I went to Warner Brothers and asked that this this was true one to two weeks, I heard that they told MTV they cannot confirm or deny. So, you know, whatever. It's, it's a it's a, I, it's a guessing game. Well, I I think the bubble is ready to burst. Yeah, exactly. You know, either way, I think it's just you know so many. I mean, how long has it been rumor been going around unconfirmed or undenied by Warner Brothers about splitting book uh, movies book seven into two movies? Right. It's been a while. It's, it's been a at while. least a week. So yeah. <laughs> Since I last podcasted. Yeah. And then we found out Thursday that a new scene, a brand new scene, was going to be added to Half Blood Prince. And um, well, what what do you guys think of this? I mean, th- this is interesting. This is the first time Warner Brothers has actually ever added a scene. Oh, I, I wouldn't say it's the first time. Oh, it's the first time. I, I can't. Well, it's the first time they've actually a major. added a subst. Uh, yeah, I think a substantial enough thing where they had to go to Joe about it and say, well. Basically, but but listen for their reason for doing it. I mean, when, when we had seen David Yates's, there was a David Yates interview, it was audio only, where he was talking about how he was going to make book six into a really sort of um, 
sort of teenage film about the romance. And here they are saying that the book has all these moments about showing what's going on in the outside world that we couldn't do that easily. Didn't really translate that well to film. So they've written this scene to, you know, make up for it. I think that's a novel idea. I would love to see whatever scene they have to offer. Well, uh, the problem I have with this is that, to me, this says that they're cutting out chapter one from Deathly Hollows. Uh, uh, not Deathly Hollows, Half-Bread. It Half does look Prince. that way. Well, did they say that, um, Micah? You you did hit the nail on the head um, there, Micah. No, they no, said no, this no, is no. going to be in the middle of the say film. That. They say this is in the middle of the film, which leads me to believe that um, the you know the whole scene with the Muggle Prime Minister and uh, Scrimgeour and Fudge is going to be cut and essentially replaced by this scene that they're making to show what exactly is taking place mm. in the Muggle world. Though, to be terribly honest, uh, if you think about it, the... Uh, the fun in the first chapter is more sort of what has happened in the past because not only are we getting what the prime minister what's happening with the prime minister now but remember she then goes in that chapter of book six back to sort of all the previous times that fudge had visited the muggle prime minister which you know was to tell the serious black escape that sort of thing so she was able to do sort of several visitations of the two ministers in that chapter, and that really, I guess, wouldn't translate well to film, especially in the beginning of the film, people would be lost. But wait, who's to well, say that? No. Th- oh, who's to say that this new scene is involving the outside world? He says it. Uh, he said we're, we're making aware that the Muggle world is also experiencing these disasters, uh, but thinks they are disasters rather than the work of Voldemort. So yeah, the, I have to read those this are his words. Those are David Barron's words. Yeah. And then he says the book is peppered with those moments, but we couldn't do that quite so easily in the film. So the extra scene comes in the middle of the film and it just reminds us that the world is no longer a safe place, even in what would normally be considered the safe haven well, of the borough. And they could have no done it quite easily place. if they just followed the first chapter of the book. Well, yeah, yeah, but that yeah, would have been too easy. Right. Especially. Well, especially talking about the bridge collapse and all those kinds of things, they could have done that. Yeah. Well, Elisa, you have pretty strong opinions on how the movies should be directed. What do you think of this? Oh, man. I mean, honestly, I mean, we're not going to know if it works or not until we see it, but I sort of think that the whole premise of it trying to make up for other areas they can't portray, I think that's a little... I don't know. I'm not quite sure that I buy that. Because, I mean, a lot of the things that are in the books that were showing what was going on outside the muggle world uh, were, you know, the Daily Prophet, the newspapers, and then, of course, Harry seeing names that he recognized in these articles and stuff. And they've used the Daily Prophet. I mean, just in the last movie, you saw a bunch of, like, newspaper articles like, coming up on the screen, and they used that last time. I don't know why they couldn't use it, it old, this time like as it. well. So, I mean... <laughs> I thought it was Edgar awesome. Sims, he was on set. <laughs> okay, fair all- enough. This is the whole story behind the additional scene. Andrew Sims went on set, and they were talking I about no. using that to pass time. No. And Andrew no. says, "No, I, I, I didn't, I didn't like that in movie five, dudes. But you wait, just have guys, to write another scene. Yeah, we're, we're missing we'll one huge big thing here. He says, David Barron says, even in what would normally be con- be considered the safe haven of the borough, nobody's safe. I think this scene happens in the borough. It has to do something with the borough, which is what I thought he was alluding to just I now. I think it happens in the borough. I don't think it but has it, anything to do with the outside world. I think this the purpose of the scene is to just show that nobody's safe, but this scene's going to be in the wizarding world. Quit picking on the Weasleys. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just a betting man. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but if something happens to the Weasleys, it doesn't really emphasize the danger in the muggle world. Right, but what if... You're just reading into it too hard, and it has nothing to do with the Muggle world. 
He, he said it does. That's exactly. No, he doesn't whole... say it does. He just says no, he, he just he, said, he just says he, Joe's <laughs> scenes show what happened in the Muggle world. Yeah, and we weren't able to portray that, so we wrote this scene. So if this scene doesn't really make up for that, then it's just a crap added scene, and I'll be very upset. I anyway, guess so, why but he does it, he does tend to make his own scenes though too because like what he did in Order of the Phoenix when he wanted to make a chase through London when the flight of the order when yeah the, that was that was potentially uh, hazardous to the <laughs> yeah it was stupid right. is what it was yeah oh, sorry I, but I liked the rest of the movie I, I did like so much of the rest of the movie I completely see past the whole non-invisible people flying through London. Though, to be fair, if they weren't in, if they weren't visible, you know, you couldn't watch them flying through London. It, it was just a cool, like, fast-paced scene. I mean, yeah, you know, they didn't feel like no. explaining why they were invisible. But you're right, it was, it was bad. Um, Who knows? Maybe chapter one will be in there, but it, when I read it for the first time, that, that was what I thought of. I thought that they were essentially creating their own uh, scene to replace, uh, you know, the muggle and the Wizard Prime Minister meeting. The other minister. Well, do you know what else? And this is just my final thought on it is that, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of complaining that they aren't getting the first chapter, and I agree with that. And that's a problem for me. But wait a minute. I kind of like the idea if you can't do it right, don't do it in a way. I, I, I like that. And I like the idea that we're going to still have some really good scenes in the books that were never translated to film. I agree that the film should be accurate representations of the books, but there are some things that are always going to be better read. And I think. Maybe chapter one of book six will be one of those moments where it's just you love reading the book, even though there's a movie out to supplement. I kind of agree with Eric. Yeah, I don't really think that inventing a completely new scene is that big of a deal if it's just sort of portraying what we already know is happening in the books anyway. It's not like they're inventing huge major plot points. I mean, it's, they're not saying Aberforth was, you know, a, a giant squid in Animagus form or something. They're not like putting something completely random in there. I mean, <laughs> But if he were... If he were, can you imagine a giant squid and goat? <laughs> wow. No, no, actually, I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, you said Gross. it. Um, yeah. So you should, you're a fanfic editor. Have you never read that before? Oh, have, have you never read? You, you would be. Oh, Elisa. Oh, my God. You would be terrified <laughs> of the things I've read. Let me put it to you this way. Okay, are, There are inanimate objects do not go well in uh, NC-17 fix. Like turkey legs, like, like, like turkey legs, like one. turkey leg. No, turkey legs and McGonagall do not match up. I will. Just... The turkey leg always <laughs> happens to stand out, doesn't it? We have to cut all of that out. Okay, I'm sorry for your, I'm <laughs> sorry for your non-virgin <laughs> eyes and ears. I'm sorry, but I figured that. Well, you said the giant squid thing. I just thought that you'd read that somewhere. No, I actually though I have read plenty of giant squid and tonks. I'm not kidding. Do you remember? Do you remember that one that was giant squid and Ron? Yes. That was terrible. <laughs> was that, you'd be, oh you'd be surprised so how creative these people get. Like, Tonks and Giant Squid, I mean, obviously we do not accept that on MuggleNet, but I mean, <laughs> you'd be surprised. If you go and Google that, I mean, I'm not suggesting this. I mean, beware, but you will be surprised. So don't Google no, it. No, don't, but you'll be surprised, I mean, how many people write that kind of stuff. Well, shipping anything with Giant Squid really brings a whole new meaning to sucking face. <laughs> Oh, God, Eric. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're interested to hear all the listeners' feedback about the, the, the new scene. Um, personally, I think it's going to be at the borough, but I don't know. Uh, betting man? I don't know. Whatever. So S- Spiderwick Chronicles came out uh, this week as well. Actually, last week. And we wanted to do a little movie review. Laurie, Lisa, Matt, and I all went out on a quadruple date and uh, saw the movie. 
and uh, made out during the dark scenes. And we... Um, Where was I? Oh. <laughs> that wasn't... Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Who, uh, who was that sitting next to me then? Whatever. Um, so we wanted to talk about it briefly because uh, let me just start and say I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. Yeah, it was a now, cute Now, Laurie, movie. Elise, and Matt, you all talk about how you thought it sucked. And no, it no I didn't think it sucked. I, not think I it thought sucked. it was really cute. But there, there's definitely a lot of um, Harry Potter inspiration in the film. I don't know if the books are that way, but you could tell that this was definitely made as something to appeal to Harry Potter fans. Well, how so, Laura? How so? Um, well, you know, there's that thing that looked exactly like Buckbeak. Yeah. The griffin. Yeah, but no, no, but it wasn't a hippogriff. It was a griffin. Totally oh. HP unrelated. Right. But, and then, I mean, where but, else is that actor supposed to get work? They have to, you know, they have to make roles for it. So yeah, the true. actor who played Buckbeak. No, but actually, um, first of all, I want to say Freddie Highmore is such a good actor. And yeah. I yeah. think he's one of the most adorable people I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. He's so cute. I, I thought it was really cool. He did play twins, and as we discussed in the interview, uh, you know that that they do a thing where the camera makes the same exact movements twice, and they digitally merge the scenes, the, the shots together. So it, there's two Freddies. It's just really cool. I mean, he did a perfect job pulling off acting like he was talking to himself. You couldn't tell. He did. I mean, it was like he had a twin. Yeah, I agree. And even the the two other girls we went with, they were like, "Oh my god." They, he's not actually, you know, a set of twins. He's actually one actor. Yeah. Right. Remember that when we were walking out? Right, yeah. Okay, so what's the movie actually about? Well, basically, it's about a family that moves into this house that belonged to, what, their great uncle or something. His name was Spiderwick, and he basically gained the sight to see all the things that humans can't see, like goblins and that type of thing. And he chronicled all of the secrets of these creatures into a book. And basically, the book was not supposed to be opened, and it was supposed to stay in the house to be protected. And Freddie Highmore and his family move into the house, and of course, he finds the book and he opens it, and there's this giant goblin that wants it so he can kill everything and it's basically about them trying to figure out how to destroy him and how to keep the book safe okay so how much of this movie is going to remind me exactly of the last freddie highmore movie i saw arthur and the invisibles uh i haven't seen that so i couldn't tell you neither have yeah because that also had uh, a very similar from what you guys are telling me very similar in that you know the house and it was his father I think or grandfather that he was trying to rescue and he had to open and figure out how to enter the world of the Minimoys except this uh, except that movie had David Bowie so that, oh, that's cool. was pretty cool well at any rate I mean it's been getting good reviews um, I think we're it's all it's fair to say that we all enjoyed it um, Elisa you want to Tell a story about what you said once the credits started rolling. Oh, the credits started rolling. I just said directed by Alfonso Cuaron because it was pretty much, <laughs> it was pretty much, I mean, the first five Harry Potter books rolled in one. And what really got me, what really got me, I was so confused, I guess because I hadn't read the book. And don't get me wrong, I really did enjoy it. And I thought that, you know, Freddie Highmore did a great acting job, actually. But I was so confused by the, uh, the, the allergy season crap that was all over the place. Like, <laughs> it's, it honestly seemed to me like it was like a promotion for Claritin 
and clear. I expected like a little disclaimer of show, like symptoms may include bloody nose, saggy jowls, death by nuclear radiation. And I was just so confused. But you know what? But it was good. It was good though. I mean, I enjoyed it. I guess just you know. Who has asthma? Uh, you know, basically, asthma? <laughs> through the whole movie, it looked like a Claritin commercial. Like, the sky was bright blue, and there would always be, like, little dandelions flying around. And so, it it really did look like a Claritin commercial. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, yeah. It was, good. I it was also a promotion for um, Campbell's tomato soup and um, honey. <laughs> and honey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, I, I like that, though. I enjoyed the little the little things that, like, the little, the, the one little creature that lived in Spiderwick's house, um, he needed honey to calm him down. I thought Thimble that, I thought tack, that, right? Thimble, Thimble tack? Was that a humble tack? <laughs> Thumb I'm tack? pretty sure Thimble. it was Thimble tack. Dobby? Okay. Was that his name? Dobby. Dobby. Are <laughs> you uh, sure? It was like a Dobby creature hybrid or something. The one thing that really got us was when they were all flying on the Griffin. Yeah. yeah. The, the two funny <laughs> I just remember when girl. we saw that scene, I, I turned over to Andrew and, and I said, I could have sworn I've seen this scene before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very reminiscent. But at any rate, you know, we're just playing around, having fun. It was it was a good movie. We I would recommend you would see it. I'm sure all of us do. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, it's very enjoyable. Yeah, Michael. One other thing you wanted to bring up this week: is some casting news. Yeah, we finally uh, started to get a little bit more information about uh, two characters: uh, Fenrir Greyback and Amicus Caro. Both have been cast for uh, Half-Blood Prince, so I think one of the concerns people had would probably be more on the side of uh, Fenrir Greyback being in the movie uh, as opposed to uh, Amicus Caro. Don't know that many people really care if, uh, you know, th- we knew the Death Eaters by name, uh, but I was ge- I was kind of getting concerned, and it still begs the question, is there more casting information to come? Right. I'm getting really scared. They're not. They have. They're not even still casting um, the new minister yet. Right. We haven't heard who's the new scrim. Who's scrim Jowers played? No, them? we have not. I I guess the one thing that could be holding them up is just that they haven't started filming with the actor yet. So, I mean, you know, so it's not relevant to know who the actor is going to be. Well, right now, I guess I don't know. I'm sure eh, you know they you have, know, a they have reasons for everything. They got the reasons. They're not the best reasons, maybe he's but not, they have reasons. Maybe he's cut out. I I don't think they'll cut him out of movie seven. So you know, it just kind of happens. Well, when would we get? Is there a time that Warner Brothers releases a full cast report uh, for uh, a movie? Is that something that they would do? I, I would think by the first teaser trailer, they would have all the casting out. I mean, that just makes sense for me cause, to me because that's just when they're starting to kick off the publicity. Yeah, that's when they're done with principal photography and everything. Well, is that true? Teaser trailers come out before that. Yeah. Teaser trailers oh, yeah, they can do. be no teaser trailers can be out for anything. If you recall, um, even the new Indiana Jones trailer, it has a it has some from the uh, upcoming movie, but most of it is uh, the previous three movies. So they can do those kinds of teasers, which just go back into those sorts of things. And I mean, if you remember the original Harry Potter trailer, which you may or may not, it was uh, more or less you know Vernon Dursley going, "There's no such thing as magic," and slapping the trap, and it was like this really cool sort of you know teaser trailers. No, you don't need to have the whole movie completed to do that. Hmm. They kind of tease okay. you a little bit. They, they, just, yeah, they, they just tease you a little bit. I guess that's that would make sense why they call them teaser trailers. Yeah, that's what huh? I Why do they call them trailers at all? Okay, so moving on. Announcements. All right, so moving on to announcements. 
um, this sort of is relevant to our first news item that we we're talking about. It comes from Lucas. I was planning on talking about it anyway, but uh, Lucas read my mind as I emailed him. It's uh, Lucas, sixteen from Chicago. He's uh, he's been on the show a couple of times when he calls in during the live shows. He writes, "I think that you guys should uh, have one more live show that lasts for a couple hours. You haven't had one in a while, and I know that tons of people would love it." And then he talks about uh, some other podcasts we're doing in the future, but um. Yeah, so I think what we should do, we should do another live podcast. I'm personally itching to do another one because they are a lot of fun. Um, are you guys, would you guys be up for yeah, doing one? Yeah, I'd be all soon? for it. Yeah, I think we should do one when they make the announcement, the director and split into two announcement, because then maybe we'll step off chapter by chapter for that live show and we'll just um, talk. Uh, we'll, yeah, well, we'll talk about the official announcements and we'll have people call in and discuss you know what their thoughts are on the movie being split in two and the new director okay so i think that would be a timely i'll just say ahead of time we're gonna set some ground rules this time first of all no shout outs they're fun they're fun we all laugh we all lol on the chat but um you know until the point when when every person who calls in doesn't have anything to say Yeah, it's just a shout out. We yeah. we need to stop they that. They do that. It slows really? the show down. Yeah, and no gag. Yeah, man. No gag unless you're like from Nickelodeon, okay? Or unless you're actually like choking on something, then you can gag. gag. Or gag. Gag. A- a- anyway, anyway. Um. Yeah. So yeah, I, keep an eye out. When, whenever there's an official announcement, we'll try to do a live show as quickly as possible. It seems one is coming in the next one to two weeks, and that lines up with when I was sort of thinking, you know, we could do a live show anyway, so we'll just wait for that announcement. Hopefully it's not during the week. It can be between Thursday and Saturday, but most likely it's going to be made like, the announcement's going to be like a Monday morning or something terrible. So, I don't know. We'll see. But we will do a live show soon for all you who are looking forward to one, so uh, plan it out. Uh, Most people, a lot of people get upset when we announce them last minute because then they don't have time to plan ahead and tune in so we're giving you a warning ahead of time so that's really the only announcement that we have this week um let's move on to muggle mail now our first muggle mail comes from naomi 23 of israel she writes so what you all are saying is you don't have time to respond to listeners that send you nice long letters but you have time to respond to idiots that talk trash and say horrible things to you that's normal who am i kidding i'm crazy Wow, wow, wow. Whoa. But really, no, why? It's, it's... <laughs> Okay, that's good. Like an Indian. Okay, that's nice. Um, but really, why do you have the need to respond to idiots and not the people who really think before they write? Because idiots that talk like that just rant about everything. They find flaws everywhere. That's not true. <laughs> Actually. <laughs> You're a liar. We don't just respond to just idiot emails and stuff. We respond to stupid ones, too. <laughs> Naomi has a point. Um, Every now and then we do like to pick out a ridiculous email to read, but those are just for fun. We don't really take them seriously. Well, actually, um, actually, hold on, wait. (laughs) Actually, what what we were saying last week is we we replied to emails that have people complaining about the show and stuff. Oh, well, stop stop your whining. That's all I have to say. (laughs) It's our show and we'll run it the way we want to. We mean mean for the the people who, (laughs) wow. That's, that's Mama's going to crack the window. No, you know what? You know what I'm really bothers me uh, is every now and then I'll see an email, and actually it's it's pretty often, and someone will be like, "I think you're doing this wrong. You should do me." And I'm like, "You know what? Go make your own podcast. Just do it. 
Damn. If you don't like the way we run ours, yeah, make your I own. Mean, listen, we 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 do everything for a reason. The reason why we said that we reply to the emails that are negative, we reply to the ones that have claims that we're doing something wrong, like a serious issue. I'm not really talking about like hate mail, like. We don't really reply to hate mail. We just reply to things that with people who are like, like every so often we'll get a parent who's like, I can't believe you said this word for my son, blah, 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 blah. So like, you know, and then we laugh. to us, that's, yeah, I mean, you know, moderate what your kids watch. That's, or listen to, that's all I have to say, but we're, we're family friendly, family you know, friendly it, here. Yeah, we are. And the other thing I wanted to point out about this was, uh, we do read and respond to, uh, people who send in nice things because yeah. we do it on the show. We have a whole section where we sit and we respond to people's rebuttals. We have chicken soup. So it's not like we're not taking people's stuff and, re- and replying to it. I think everybody probably replies to at least five emails a week that are people questioning, why can't I download this? Why isn't this working? So right. we do take the time to, to do that in addition to all the other mail. No, yeah. wait, no we're, we're, not, we're not trying to be mean here. We're no, just saying, no. you know, we're... You know, we run the show how we do. We can't reply to, you know, most of the emails, the majority, I will say the majority of emails we get are theories. So we can't reply back and be like, you know, oh, I think this is good because blah, blah, blah. You know, we, it just, you know, we just can't. Yeah, we do. We do read it. That, that That's the point I think we wanted people to get from last week's show is we yeah. do read everything. Yeah, that's all. But we don't have the time to, to reply okay. to it. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's not dwell on this because it, you know, people, you know, we made our point clear okay next email comes from amanda 25 of sunshine coast in australia she actually um a lot of people wrote this uh response into our discussion on gryffindor sword last week and why uh luna Ginny, and neville tried to steal it she writes this is probably one of hundreds of emails you received but Ginny found out that harry had gryffindor sword passed to him when on page 111 of dhuk edition it states Quote, outside in the garden over the dinner tables, the three objects Scrimgeour had given them were passed from hand to hand. Everyone exclaimed over the Deluminator and the tales of Beetle the Bard and lamented the fact Scrimgeour had refused to pass on the sword. End quote. So Ginny would have heard about it then and thought it was a great way to help Harry since she couldn't go with him and to exact some revenge on Snape too. So that's a great point. That, yeah. I think I that's the explanation we needed let's dive in straight to chapter by chapter this week because we have a lot to discuss we're going to do two chapters this week going to kick it off with chapter 16 which is godrick's hollow a um a uh, a short but very important chapter it's one we all speculated about before the book came out we were all saying harry was gonna he had to go back to godrick's hollow i mean it's now or never so um who wants to kick it off with the short summary? I'll do the short summary. Okay, so the short summary is for this chapter, chapter 16, Godric's Hollow. Following Ron's departure, Harry and Hermione struggle for productivity as they agree to go and find Godric's Hollow, a journey which ends at the tomb of the Potters. Dun, dun, dun. So the chapter starts off with just a lot of a lot of narration. I mean, <laughs> Harry's feeling Harry and Hermione are feeling the effects of Ron being away. Yeah. Right? I yeah. mean, and he's thinking about Jenny, you know. <laughs> It's just all this being away hurts. Yeah, they keep looking at they they hear noises at the door. Like if Ron were to come back in, Hermione pretty much just she she delays them leaving the place where they were because Harry that Ron like won't be able to find them after that that sort of thing. Um, and Harry resorts to uh, the Marauders map 
and he begins watching people at Hogwarts. Initially, he thinks he's going to see Ron show up there again, you know, because he's sold out for the uh, sort of three meals a day that he's used to. But um, it turns out he just ends up watching Ginny, and uh, Ginny becomes a comfort to him, and he wishes more than anything that she knows that he still cares about her. So, and uh, also connection to Hogwarts, they begin to speak with Phineas Nigellus. Now, did you guys like how this this was done? The whole uh, <laughs> how they kind of came to an uh, agreement with uh, Phineas, and they began to seek answers about what was happening at Hogwarts. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool that they utilized him that way. Uh, well, don't so- you think that Snape was the one who told him to keep an eye on him? Well, we know Probably. that now, I guess. Yeah, that's, yeah. But what did they find out yeah, from this? So. Uh, from these meetings, what did they? Not much. No, I mean they mainly just find out what's going on at Hogwarts, like that. A few students are kind of rebelling against Snape, and Harry theorizes that the DA is still alive and well, which was interesting because, yeah. like, while I was reading this for the first time, it's just weird. Like thinking about you don't know what's going on at Hogwarts for the first time. Yeah, yeah. Like it's just like you try to picture what what is going on. It'd be interesting to, yeah, you know, hear this part of the book from. Ginny's perspective or Luna's or well, as as Neville's. the reader, you're right. I mean, as the reader, you feel very empty because you haven't seen the seventh Halloween feast. You know, I mean, you you know yeah. when you when you were first given the first Harry Potter book, you were expecting seven Halloween feasts and seven Christmas feasts, and you're just you're not getting it, right? Um, right. so they finally get off their bums and they decide they're going to Godric's Hollow. Okay, Harry says, you know what, I want to go to Godric's Hollow, and Hermione says, well. That's a good idea. I kind of want to go there, too. And so they plan on it. And basically, there are a few very interesting facts about Godric's Hollow, which I put in the notes here um, for you guys about Godric's Hollow. This is sort of what we know. Now, it's still a bit confusing for me how Harry knew to go there at the end of Book 6. But needless to say, by this point in Book 7, he has reason to go there based on what he... Well, I don't think I don't think he, he had... He... He had a reason other than just he wanted to see his parents' yeah. grave, right? right? But my question was, how do you, how yeah, do you, my my former question on the show had been, how did he know that his parents were buried there? But I guess that makes sense. I guess you know, yeah, nothing's really happening here. I mean, this is just this is just a big moment for for Harry, just because he's finally seeing his parents' grave. Um, just a lifetime think, movie. What's that? Nothing. It is like a lifetime movie. I heard that movie. at least a mop for it. <laughs> I said it was just like a lifetime movie. I mean, three quarters of the chapter, I felt like I was watching a lifetime. Have some with a bunch sympathy, of other you <laughs> heartless fan fiction mom. No, 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 no. Listen, listen. Don't give me. I like, cried at the end of this chapter. Sure, you it was did. Really emotional. Sure, but, I mean, you that's did. That's part of why it's a freaking. That's why it's a lifetime movie, isn't it? Isn't that sort of like the the, the staple? Of watching Lifetime. Okay, you're talking to four guys and one other girl. I don't think... One other girl I love this chapter, you guys. Why are you guys bagging on it? No, I like it too. I like Uh it too. No, no, this is a fabulous chapter. So they get get into the Godric's Hollow, and Harry and Hermione come up upon the statue of the Potters. And, like, I thought that was just so cool that, you know, there's a statue of you as a child with your parents. The, The town has a statue there. It's been there for 17 years. And he just stares at it for a minute, and there's really no, like, there's really no, like, realization. There's no, like, you know, in the book, it's just written Harry staring at it. I don't know. Don't you guys think there should have been more, like, yeah. it's, like... But wouldn't that freak you out? No, that's, like, that's a moment... Okay, maybe it was maybe it was a lot, and maybe, you know, it, it was a I, lot I think for him I all at once. I think I connect with the exact response that's in the book, because you got to realize that Harry's survival 
impacted the entire wizarding world. You know, even though Voldemort is, a, you know, a terrorist who's in England, you know, they say, I mean, being the most powerful dark wizard ever, he's pretty much the threat to the entire world. Harry's defeat of him meant something to, to people so much larger than Harry would ever meet and will ever know. And so coming to this statue, which he had never seen before, it was just, you know, it had been there for 17 years. I think that's fitting. And it's just, he's like the last person to see this statue of him and his parents. And it's just, it's just really like, you know, there's nothing to say or do. He's just there. It, it doesn't come. It's not a lack of emotional response. It's just uh, an abundance of it. Plus it's a conscious decision on his part. It may be a subconscious decision that he can't pay too close attention to things like that. Just because there's that threat that he may be being watched by somebody else. And obviously that, that ends up happening. But you know, if he's just, goes into an emotional breakdown and he's under polyjuice potion um you know isn't would that seem kind of weird that you know some middle-aged guy is breaking down in front of a of a statue well and also we see later go ahead no i just i think i was gonna say the same thing that you're going to say which is just that we see a lot of emotion later when he's at uh, his parents grave and then again uh you know a little less sadness but when they see that sign that pops up later with all yeah. like, the graffiti written on it and stuff. So I think there was so much emotion already transpiring in that short period of time that it didn't really, I don't know, it didn't really surprise me that there wasn't anything more intense at that point. But I, I understand yeah. that point completely, but it didn't really surprise me. Yeah, and also the way I think about it is I think that seeing a statue of he and his family, like a memorial, is really not all that different than reading about his family in textbooks like he did at school because it was just a representation. Well, he didn't. Hermione I think it was became, always, I hate to interrupt. Sorry, Hermione was always the one to read about Harry in the books. Yeah, I know, but she was the one who told him about it. I mean, that's that's all very that's all very much a surreal experience because it didn't become real to him. Like he, he actually said that he, I mean, he actually detailed the idea of his parents' bodies being beneath him under the ground. He said he almost wanted to crawl in and sleep with them. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until then that it became real. I don't think. Well, let's jump to the graves. Yeah, please. You guys are just all about proving me wrong. with future events. Go ahead, Micah. Mention one thing. I, I thought it was interesting that, uh, it first appeared as a war memorial, and then yeah, what was up it, it with turned that? into oh, the Potters. Yeah, well, what kind of war memorial? Well, it could be that. Like, well, think about the Godric's Hollow. Think about Godric's Hollow. Godric's Hollow is not a, an all magical town like Hogsmeade. Hogsmeade is the only all magical establishment in Britain, but Godric's Hollow is kind of a half magical, half Muggle thing. Now, think about Harry and Hermione, who are under the Polyjuice Potion as Muggles. I think that the War Memorial. I mean, considering Lily and James are only significant to Muggles. I mean, to magic people. You know, I mean, they're significant to Muggles, but Muggles would never understand why. You couldn't even begin to explain. So, I think if they're gonna, you know, if the Wizards are going to build a memorial. To, I mean, quite like the Potter's House, which you see in the next chapter. It's just, I, I think the whole deal with it was that the War Memorial was, you know, once they got closer to it, it kind of revealed itself just like the cottage did because they weren't muggles. You know, they. My point was that it's more symbolic. That, oh, it's a battle scar. You know, the Potter's. What? Well, it's, it's like a. Yeah. The Potter's are the, the central point of this war against Voldemort. And. The fact that a war memorial changed over to, you know, a statue of Lily, James, and Harry, I thought was, you know, symbolic in a sense of what is taking place in this book. 
Mm-hmm. That was mm-hmm. more of, of where I was. The going War Memorial, it. though, isn't that what the Muggles see? Isn't that sort of the, the disguise for Lily and James and Harry? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, that's what I. Thought. So I was just curious as to like which war that was for. I mean, obviously it has to be something valid if it's going to fool the Muggles. WW two, uh, yeah, or the. Uh... Australian-American War. Okay, so the graves. They go through the graveyard. They're finding different people, and Harry's getting frustrated because Hermione keeps pointing out you know, different graves other than his parents. But then finally, of course, it's Hermione who finds the grave. Um, well, okay, first we'll talk about the inscription on Kendra Ariana. and uh, Ariana Dumbledore's grave. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess, Eric, you had this in there, so you should probably Yeah, there's talk about two inscriptions it. they come across in this graveyard. One of them is on the grave of Dumbledore's mother and sister, and the other one is on James and Lily's tomb. And Harry uh, makes note of the second one and has some open dialogue about Hermione, but the first one on Kendra and Ariana's grave is uh, reads as such, uh, where, your, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. What do you guys think that means? Well, first of all, that's from the Bible. It's from Matthew six twenty one. Um, it is now, actually. Wait a second. Wait a second. How do you know it? That did you did you Google yeah. it? Afterwards, no, I, yeah, or? I looked it up, and basically both of these phrases are from the Bible. Um, really? The, uh, isn't that nice that that uh, uh, Joe did a little tribute to Laura Mallory? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely hollow. <laughs> Here lies Laura Mallory. Uh, thanks. Oh, well, that, that's that's. Oh no, 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 no. But you actually, if in the you dust there, in the dust or rather the marble of the graves, there it's really interesting. If you read um, Matthew six and you're looking at lines nineteen through twenty one, that section is called "Lay up treasures in heaven." And it says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I thought thought it was really fitting, like, to say that you should really treasure the important things in your life and not, not link your entire being to material possessions. That will have no meaning when you're gone. That's kind isn't, of a... Isn't that a little ironic? Given, I mean, isn't Dumbledore the one who put that inscription on yeah, there? Yeah, well, that, that's the open dialogue yeah. is that uh, when they talk about this, Harry says it makes sense that Dumbledore would be the one to choose this um, because he was the oldest member of his family after... Kendra and Ariana Well, it's possibly died. something that his mother said. I mean, he had to have, you know, gotten his his um, his loving nature from someone from his family. Maybe his mother was the one who was very loving and concerning, and probably that's where Dumbledore got most of his things like from. Mm-hmm. Elisa, did you have something else to say about that? Or? No, no. I just wanted – I wasn't quite sure what it meant. I, I, at first, my thought was that maybe – I don't know. I don't know what I was thinking, but I thought there's maybe some kind of significance to it, and – like a horcrux or something, but obviously yeah. I was gonna, I was kind of thinking the same thing, like like where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Like, exactly. Like your treasure, right. you put your soul into your soul and your treasure. Right. It's kind of an. Exactly. I think we're meant to think uh, of that a little bit because, like, obviously, yeah, it's, it's just a Bible, little bit. It, it's it's to be contrasted with the kind of life mm-hmm. that Voldemort is living, that he has souls right. and horcruxes for the fact that treasure and heart can can mean nothing about means of survival in the mortal world, but be actually really meaningful. Um, you know, on a- I think that makes perfect sense. The the Horcrux parallel, yeah, it makes it makes good sense. I mean, I mean, you know, obviously Matthew wasn't jotting this down, thinking about Horcruxes <laughs> no. and J.K. Rowling. Well, 2000 honestly, years though, later. I I don't think that 
I mean, we know that Joe is a Christian. Um, I don't think that she would use a biblical quote in reference to something evil like a horcrux. Well, no, but it's it's That's the kind of thing either. about being well written. You know, is that you can imply all these things from it. You can take all these things out of it. She's also, I mean, oh, yeah, all the I time when she wrote that. In this chapter, just five times, it's appeared how the little beating heart inside the locket is going faster and faster yeah. and faster. I think maybe it might have been less of a reference to a Horcrux directly and more of a reference of, you know, like anti-Horcrux, perhaps. No, that's what I'm I saying. Mean, it's I think... to be contrasted. Yeah. Right. It's to be absolutely exactly. contrasted. It has nothing to do with a Horcrux, but you're meant to think. Or, or you know, it's it's in there. It's definitely there to think. Yeah. But um yeah. So on James and Lily's tomb, what what about the second inscription? And Harry questions that isn't this what the Death Eaters think? It's uh it says the last enemy that will be defeated is death. Yeah, Harry sort like of ruined one. the moment. Yeah, Harry sort of ruined the moment for me right there though, because it seemed like he was getting angry. Wasn't he was. He? Well, he read it wrong because Hermione well, this, was like, "It's not a bad thing." Yeah. This is a very angry chapter, though. I mean, this is yeah. If 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 you're uh you know sort of following Harry throughout everything that's been going on in this book in particular, you know, and you're not a fan of Dumbledore. I know there are a couple of people like Jess out there who <laughs> the name don't one like Dumbledore. Should be spammed. Um, but you get very aggravated, at least I did, uh, rereading the chapter uh, with Dumbledore. Because here you have, I think, just two rows behind, you know, uh, the Potter's Graves... Um, behind Ariana and uh, Kendra Dumbledore's and you start thinking to yourself why was Harry never brought to Godric's Hollow why was Harry never given this information and it really starts to sink in because up until this point you know it's sort of been like okay Dumbledore didn't pass along this information you can deal with it but once you start to see the reality that Harry's going through that he's sitting in his parents grave and Dumbledore had this information all along and never shared anything with him. I mean, I would. Uh, I would be frustrated. You're right, this too. is the moment where it hits Micah. And I mean, you were the, you you did the news item where J.K. Rowling had said that there is legitimate concern in that Dumbledore was. Well, I guess using Harry as a puppet was the the term used, but I mean, this is the moment where I mean, Harry's thinking about walking with Dumbledore. What an emotional impact he, he thinks that would be for them both to to have walked there. He said, "I think the term is uh, what a strong bond that would be for Dumbledore to have taken him to this place, and he didn't." And and the line is uh, something to the effect of, "You know, oh, was it more important to just get Harry to do what he wanted him to do?" And, I mean, you're right. This is the chapter where it starts really hitting home. Well, not even Dumbledore. Nobody ever took him. No, well, nobody took him, yeah. That's kind of sad, Well, do you too. think that Dumbledore really thought about, um, bef- before he died, um, about this precaution, about how dangerous it would be if he went back to uh, Godric's Hollow? <clears throat> it's a good question. I think he would have been able to deal with the situation uh, without ever drawing attention to those graves. Um Yes, they're close together, but I still think that you know Dumbledore may have been able to go to Godric's Hollow and sort of not pay any attention to the two graves that were there. Um, and maybe in the end, that's the reason why he never took Harry there. Maybe that would be the explanation, that it would just be too difficult for him to uh, deal with everything surrounding his mother and his sister. Yeah. Now, Andrew, um, I actually want to hear what, what you think this little uh, inscription means. I thought your I thought your interpretation was interesting. Okay, well, 
what I think, okay, Hermione's probably right. I'll just say that first. However, when I look at it and I think about it, I feel like it means that this may sound stupid, but this is just an alternate interpretation that once everyone in the world is dead, then there will no longer be death and it is therefore defeated. Let me read the line back. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Will be defeated. It won't exist anymore because everyone's dead already and they can't die anymore. Okay, but that's like, okay, that would be like saying that everything on the planet would have to die, though. Like, including the planet itself. Honestly, I never thought of it like that, and I don't think it's a stupid theory at all. I just think that... Thanks. I really don't. I think, though, that, um, that it sort of assumes that maybe in order to destroy death, you have to eradicate it. And I think that... I think that was something as ambivalent as, excuse me, as death, that it's something that more has to be overcome and not eradicated. And I sort of think that that's where maybe Laura's interpretation fits in, is that if you can overcome it, then that is sort of destroying death in a sense. And I think that James and Lily were overcoming it through, you know, keeping Harry alive through their sacrifice, as she had suggested. Laura, what yeah. is your interpretation? Well, it's it's basically what Elisa just said, that um, it, it's for anybody who has overcome their fear of death. And I mean, I think about Lily and James who are living on in their son. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that regardless of what your belief in any sort of afterlife is, you do leave an impression on, in this world, whether it's through your children or through the things that you've done. I, I really think that you do. Um, and just like reading it in terms of how it's presented in the Bible, because it's in Corinthians, that whole, uh, it's like Corinthians fifteen twenty six or something. But all through Corinthians 15, it's about the resurrection of Christ. And it talks about that. And there was one part that was kind of, it was kind of eerie reading it because it reminded me a lot of the scene where Harry was walking to the Forbidden Forest and he saw his mother and father and Remus all standing around him when he put on the resurrection stone. Cause it like talked about how there would be, there would be one to be resurrected and all the apostles would see him and all this other stuff. And it was really, wow. you could definitely tell that JK Rowling was schooled very much yeah. That's a good in religion. Call, Laura. That's a good call. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I thought of when I was rereading it was I thought specifically of the Deathly Hollows and, you know, Harry uh, being the master of death and the fact that, you know, he has that whole scene at uh, King's Cross. And, you know, I like what Elisa was saying just before about, you know, uh, the Potters living on through Harry. Um, you know, they in their own way, they defeated death by you know, stepping in front of of the curses that were were meant for Harry, I guess, Lily more so than James, but even still, you know, James died protecting his family. And, you know, Harry sort of gives up at the end and, and, and knows that him sacrificing himself is supposedly for the greater good. Um, and, uh, you know, that, that kind of quote to me ties in with the hollows and, and ties in with his actions and, you know, the end of the book. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, before we go to chapter 17, can we just like talk about the scene as a whole as like w- when they film it in the, in the movie, like how beautiful it's going to be when you see Harry and Hermione holding each other, looking at the parents' grave in the snow? Yeah, you know, and I was thinking of that and immediately 
I, I, I close my eyes and I can just picture the typical Emma Watson. But see, Rory that's the face. thing I'm yeah. kind of upset. <laughs> I mean, k- kind of nervous for. Like, I think it'd be a little better in the film if they don't actually go through the. Um, Apologies potion. So you actually see Harry and Hermione holding each other in the gravesite rather than <laughs> yeah. what they look like through the apologies potion. But they're going to mean these two strange actors. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's supposed other. to be a touching it's very moment. Sentimental, but yeah, you're right. I don't think. And the apologies potion, like, that's one of the th- That's kind of what they're saying about movie six. You know, there's all these precautions they take to make, you know, to, to make clear how unsafe the world is. But I think it's, I think it's a better story to tell in a movie if they are not under the polyjuice potion at this exact moment. We questioned whether they would be in the ministry yeah. scene. It's it's very it's just this is a very different uh fuck I was going to say something I lost my train of thought. It's just the perspective you have while reading, you see Harry and Hermione, but in a movie it's not nearly as effective. It's they're going to have to Really do something about that. Because, yeah. yeah, you're right. Like, Matt and Eric, you were both saying, seeing two random people yeah. holding each other just won't make yeah. sense. Reading this chapter, I mean, you kind of get an idea as to why Ron wasn't written into it. Because I just can't see him being in this scene. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I can't yeah, do That's it. a good point. That's a really good point. I, just, I was wondering, I'm not sure that if this was specified or if I'm remembering it incorrectly, but who decided on that epithet, the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death? Do we know? I don't think it was ever specified who chose oh, well, it. Y- it's probably a like uh, m- maybe a favorite from Lily or James of the Deathly Hollows from Beetle and the Bard. Well, I, I would I would rather venture and say that Dumbledore did that one too. I would like to think that. Well, here's what I, yeah, here's what I was going to say, and I have no I have no evidence of this whatsoever, but I was almost positive that I read somewhere, maybe in one of the interviews that J.K. Rowling did after the release, that Dumbledore had written that, and if so, that gives a whole new perspective to it, because if Dumbledore wrote that, it would sort of almost be like, I suppose, um, a redemption in a way, that he was sort of, because he went through that whole phase of trying to obtain, you know, the Deathly Hallows and defeating death in a way that it can't be defeated defeated at least not you know so but he wrote that sort of saying i've realized my mistake and you know where i made error in judgment and I, now i know i've learned through lily and james that the only way to destroy death is to face it and not to run from it yeah i like that a lot yeah. very nicely put <laughs> thanks wow elisa you're you're the girl you're hired yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know, Laura, Laura, See get you, off Laura. the show. You oh, suck. No. Screw you. No, screw <laughs> you. Laura. Laura. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You can keep the P.O. box. Laura. Bye. Oh, yeah. Oh, speaking, of, speaking of the P.O. box, Andrew, my mom uh, told me that some girl sent you this very serious love Whoa. letter. She reads like, a letter? Like, like, what is she intense. doing opening my personal love letters? And, uh, no, she didn't, like, put a name on the... I'm just, I'm just playing. She okay, I'm just telling you. Uh, well, I look forward to seeing it and being creeped out. Um, <laughs> let's go to chapter 17. I'm just kidding. Whoever Call sent that in. Stoppers. I'm, I'm sure it's nice. We should move on to chapter 17 now. Uh, Victoria, I mean, Bethelda's secret. Um, basically, in this chapter, to sum up Eric's short summary, hiss, hiss, bite, hiss, crunch, I can fly, hey, cute picture, wait, that's him. No. No, no, you you totally destroyed that, Andrew. I write these summaries, I put all my heart into them, and it it, it would be... I know. Half of it was hiss. No. I think it came off. Increasing degrees. Okay. I think it came off funny. Can I I read the short summary? Bite, hiss, 
crunch. My wand! Look at my wand! I can fly, I can fly, I can fly! Hey, cute picture. Wait, that's him! No! <laughs> wow. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's the short summary. Elisa Monfort, the only one clapping for her. That's because she's really polite. Thank you, she'll, Skype meters. And she's new. She has to suck up yeah, everyone. Yeah, she'll be meaner next time. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So this chapter, I don't know what to think about this chapter. I mean, this is another... They should have seen this coming. Like, come on. She was so... Did... did while everyone was reading this for the first time, did you know that something was up with Bethel? Oh, like, of course. course. Absolutely. Of course. Oh, obviously... It was obvious she was a snake. It, you- it was absolutely <laughs> obvious that a giant snake was possessing Bathilda's dead corpse and, and inhabiting the carcass and leading Harry alone so that she could bite him and break his... Wa- yes. Thank you, Eric. So God, gross. it was it so was obvious. So, Matt, you and I are the only ones worthwhile <laughs> or worthy of reading these kinds of books. I, you know, well, okay, the only reason I could see someone thinking that, okay, there wasn't anything up with, uh, there wasn't anything up with her just because they had heard at the wedding that she was just gaga so Mm. i don't know obviously something was up to us because you know something's bound to happen it was you know every 30 pages there's like a new big scary yeah it was bad they were bad it was the whole mood was supposed to change anyway so we we were expecting a, a big change in the mood yeah so um but first off in the beginning of this chapter harry feels excited because well he he gets a little uh boost a little inspiration boost because he sees um this graffiti on this plaque honoring him i think that was just what he needed yeah because he, he he's getting both he's getting very skeptical of hermione and and ron and he was right that i mean they were kind of doubting him a little bit and so now he's he he's been thinking this whole entire time that his best friends are doubting his ability and are, are they really i mean they may be with him but are they are they really in a sense and yeah, so he's in, and he reads these t- th- these graffitis on the scene on the sign saying how oh, what, what does it say on the sign? Oh, it says "Good luck, Harry, wherever you are. If you read this, Harry, we're all behind you. Long live Harry Potter." Well, yeah, the house is still there. Most of the house is still there, in fact. Yeah, that's really cool too. How there's like a little tribute. I, I'm well, I mean, they kept the house yeah, there I as like a tribute. Like, that's just amazing. I really cannot wait to see that in a movie. Because Harry even, well, the narration even points out that, you know, there is the blasted corner of the house, which is obviously where Voldemort killed uh, his mother and tried to kill Harry. And remember, we've seen this house, guys, in the in the movie. And when Hagrid, in the first movie, when Hagrid's doing the recount, we see Voldemort going to that. I thought right. that would be really cool if they reshoot those scenes sort of with the actors, try and recreate it, but then actually, you know, elaborate with all of the things that happened, sorry, at the end of this chapter, which is just fantastic. Well, see, that's what I had a yeah. question about, too, because um, they said in the beginning when they did this movie uh, of the first film that, that J.K. Rowling oversaw this entire scene. I think she directed scene. that scene or something. Do, do you honestly... But Oh, yeah, I think she did direct it, too. Do you think that they may have actually filmed this, the entire scene and are saving mm. are saving it for the no, last film? I highly film? doubt that. If you think Uh-oh. about it, the, the James and Lily actors are very happy to... Uh, to return, they've been in almost all the movies. Um, in fact, they've been in all the movies. They really have. But the baby, it doesn't look like that. He's probably a couple years older now. Well, heaven's <laughs> like ten years, years older now. Find another child. Well, you're right. You're, uh, that's you're that's right. kind of a good theory, Matt. I mean, because I really don't think they would have to film much extra. Like, oh, uh, I don't know. It's hard to say because if you think about the movie scene. 
in Sorcerer's Stone, it's not exactly how it is in the book. No, it's not. But also, the actors are ten years older, almost too, from when right. they filmed that first. The, from when they filmed that scene. Although Harry was Harry was standing in the crib, and he had a little smile on his face in the movie, didn't he? A little bit. Yeah, he did. It's very similar. He was wearing Blue's Clues pajamas too. He was. And she was, yeah. and, and and they stressed it enough that she was very adamant about getting this scene right. She probably had this whole scene. You know, she had it all envisioned in her head. I still think they may have filmed the oh, entire scene. I like scene. the idea of that. It's just in the history of movies where it seems like in my history of movies, my experience, when I think that it would be really cool if they did that, they never do that, which is the only thing I have against it. I mean, at the very least, they must have some extra footage laying around. They must have done some extra takes, maybe some extra angles or two. Maybe they could make a whole thing out of it. You don't even see um, James's character in that flashback. Right, you don't. That's that's one so, issue. Um, yeah. So, are we going to talk about Bethilda picking them up then? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That's a great point, Matt. But uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see. That's a good question for uh, Heyman or somebody. <clears throat> okay, so Harry finds the photograph of Dumbledore and Grindelwald in Bethilda's house. And um, sorry, I'm reading from whoever wrote this. He's also convinced by looking in her eyes that she knows who he is. He's partly right. Yeah, I was kind of. I don't know. I just reading that it kind of creeped me out because yeah. Hermione said something along the lines of like, "Do you think she knows who we are, or whatever?" And Harry looks into Bethilda's eyes and he's like, "Yeah, I think she does." And it's creepy because he's right, but not quite, you know, because it's actually Voldemort's yeah. snake, and it's oh my god. There, there's a really cool like shivers. I like how this is written because uh, and again with the uh, the Horcrux on, that Harry's wearing gets excited. You know, it starts really sort of beating and Harry really starts noticing it. Yeah. And and he's like, oh, you know, I guess it's starting to be scared. That's 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 good. It's scared that it's about to be destroyed. But you know that that's not actually quite what's happening. And it's just it's just really just really an intense sort of scary scene. Yeah, it really is. That whole scene is going to be so freaking awesome in the if movie. If they do it right. Like do you really do you think they're actually going to have the snake like crawl out I think of Bethilda's neck? Oh, they better. They, I would be so Why? mad. If oh, if they did if they it was didn't. like <laughs> yeah, it just it, it it just like transfigures into a snake or something. Oh, that would Well, be, they got to have be so terrible. Yeah, or if they do if they do something cheap like they've done in every movie where they show a shadow. But then like in Chamber of Secrets in order to lessen the gore factor, they had uh Fox uh, pecking out the basilisk guys, but oh, they only they, showed they, shadow. But they don't cop that right. Out. But keep in mind, keep in mind that that was the PG days. Oh, the they, PG they, days. yeah, we're days. almost <laughs> rated R, ladies and <laughs> gentlemen. Practically, yeah, R. we're no, all well, big boys The other now. thing, uh, Laura, that I rem- Laura, that I remember is, um, sorry, uh, crap. I just totally lost my. Oh yeah, well, no. Well, what about when um, Peter Pettigrew cut I, off no, his well, hand? That's oh, that's did they show the shadow of that? They showed it about like it just tipped off the hand, the arm. Well, and it made it, it made the squishy sound. Yeah, it was. It was, it was well, pretty, um, what I'm what I'm thinking of is in, remember in Prisoner of Azkaban when Peter Pettigrew uh, escapes uh, the binds by turning into the rat, and he, he does that thing where he disappears right. sort of into his clothing, and, and you know the rat comes out there. Like that's yeah. that's exactly the effect I'm looking for in this Bethilda transformation scene. Is you know is really does, yeah. but does he he doesn't really trans she doesn't really transform he, the the snake is hiding inside the body well no she doesn't she doesn't no but, it comes well, out like of I, her body like I wrote in my notes she pretty much discards the carcass like a coat like discards the body like a coat and it lets it drop to the floor as the snake like sort of slithers out of it like like a snake would shed its skin exactly. well I kind of thought yeah, I, was just gonna yeah. say that. I I kind of got a um. 
I thought about that when I was thinking of uh, what's the movie Men in Black when the creature oh, yeah. took oh, out the yeah. insides of the body and all all it really was was just like a layer of skin that just stretched over the body. He was wearing yeah. like a like an Egger suit. <laughs> Like an, like an egg or suit, yeah. Come to think of it, though, this would really be a scary scene for kids. I know. I mean, even if it is rated PG-13, huh. I don't know. But let, let's stick with the book here. Let's wrap this up. Um, so as we were just discussing, I guess we could skip this, too. Harry sees his parents' death through Voldemort's point of view, which is really well, cool. Well, we can't skip this. We can't skip well, no, this. Well, no, I'm this saying we already incredible. discussed a good oh, part yeah, of it, yeah, movie-wise. But I'm I'm shocked at how little I I remembered how cool this actual part was when I was reading it the first time, book seven that is, because it really is truly cool. Yeah, correct me. Um, what did you guys correct think? me if I'm wrong? But isn't this the first time that we find out that James Potter didn't even have his wand when Voldemort came? Neither yeah. of them did. He just yeah. falls. Didn't we discuss this on an earlier show? Yeah, this has been uh, st- no, no. It's been uh, it's been said in the books that uh, sort of James was dueling Voldemort or whatever. You know, went went into the landings to sort of to sort of duel him, but. Now we now we see it's a little bit even more pathetic than that for for you know James and Lily Potter to who thrice defied Voldemort to just drop you know and of course Lily didn't have to die but um, but James just didn't even have his wand. Mm-hmm. Well, um, no, this is yeah. Go well, on. just about the whole thing with Harry's mom and how he kind of pushed her away. Like we all thought that there was like some ulterior motive that he, that maybe like he was t- uh, he promised that he wouldn't kill. Um, the, well, he did, did he? didn't he? Isn't that confirmed later? Yeah, Snape asked him. Oh, that's right. To. Okay. Never mind. But <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm just going to say my my absolute favorite thing about this Voldemort recap is that right when he's about to kill Harry, he's, he thinks the baby Harry might, or, or Harry or Voldemort thinks that the baby Harry might be thinking that Voldemort is actually his dad in disguise. That any moment Lily's going to pop up and smile, and it's all a joke. But as Voldemort gets closer to, to Harry to kill him, um, he sees that it's not Voldemort and begins crying. And at that moment, Voldemort thinks I, I have it written down here. Voldemort thinks, well, he says uh, he did not like of the, the crying. He had never been able to stomach the small ones crying in the orphanage. And this is like right when he's about to die, right when Voldemort's about to kill Harry and be killed himself. He has this flash to the... He, he connects the crying to the orphanage and these crying babies in the orphanage. This is Voldemort's human life. And not only that, but his childhood. He makes this connection to his childhood uh, and, and of all these, you know, this crying that he, that he couldn't stand in the orphanage. It sort of connects him to the human world once again to even acknowledge that he'd ever been in an orphanage. A muggle wanted that. And then that's... It, it just... It struck me so much. You can clearly tell by the way my voice doing this that it, it struck me that 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 kind of connection to you know Voldemort's because Voldemort's not connected to anything and but right before he dies he makes that kind of you know I hated the little ones the orphan well when I and yeah then he dies. Well, when I read that, when he said that he can stomach the babies crying at the orphanage, I I I could be wrong, but I I thought when he said that he meant that he went on a murderous rampage in the orphanage and it was just hard. Well, he was about to kill a trick or treater. Do you remember that? Yeah. Mm. He said, like, one one quick wave of his wand and the little boy would never see his mother again or something like yeah, that. But quite yeah. Well, he just loved the quite power of that. I think he he was thinking to himself, like, I could just kill this kid right now. And 
that that entire life is gone. Now, Laura, you had a parallel you wanted to bring up? Oh, yeah. Well, we all know how I am about the parallels. And yeah. This, this is a really small one. It's it's not anything major that requires tons of discussion, but it was just interesting to me, like, especially thinking about the scene that we talked about in Sorcerer's Stone that Joe monitored so heavily, um, specifically shows Voldemort entering the gate of the Potter's house. And in the book, Harry says that he can see the bald man entering the gate um, of Bathilda's home. And it's like the first time that they've both been in Grimmauld Place and all this time. And both times it happened in book seven and book one. So I just thought it was really interesting. Another one of my, my little book parallels. And why do we love Those parallels? Because they never meet. <laughs> <laughs> uh uh, I was just disappointed because there had been so much speculation that there had been somebody else oh, God I know. That, that night. Yeah. Yeah. And then to not have anything really, I mean, yeah, I think right. everyone pretty much assumed that Snape was the one who sort of made sure that Lily would at least be offered some sort of protection. But yeah. it seemed like even going back to the movie you guys were talking about it, – people were always saying oh it seems like if you look the right way there was somebody else there in the shadows and but in the end it ended up not being anybody at all yeah and yeah, i mean when we were Voldemort by himself when we were in london doing our live show i went out on a limb and made a big speculation about who i thought it was gonna be and then it what ended up say? being no one i said well i wasn't 100 percent convinced of this but i figured if it was gonna be someone there it was gonna be someone we wouldn't expect so i was like hmm dumbledore maybe dumbledore was there and that's why he has all this stuff and da 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 but of course it makes no sense now but yeah yeah, Dumbledore was a big theory that yeah. I remember that being passed around a lot. I, I think you, I think you did present an interesting theory if that show. Yeah, I, I just, correctly. I don't remember exactly what I said. Yeah, I just remember it being but... really good. <laughs> but then, but then, no one in the audience. I remember uh, you said something like, "Everybody, raise your hand if you think that's right," and like two people. Oh, <laughs> well, so you have like, to remember. You. There, there were three levels of people. We couldn't see, you know, the upper yeah, and lower. That's true. I'm sure. We should have been like, stop your feet if you <laughs> think Yeah, that. Th- they would put another light out in yeah. the bookstore. Oh, that was a classic. Yeah, film. that was so funny. Uh, Elise and Matt and Mikey, you weren't there, you losers. Um, okay, oh my so. God. <laughs> Thanks, kidding. Andrew. Yeah. I'm just kidding. Uh, Jerk. Okay, so I think that's about it. Well, just one more thing. Okay. <laughs> when. Harry is uh, sorry. When you're Harry's, like, you're like um, Steve Jobs at his Apple keynotes, he always goes. <laughs> but there is one more thing, and then the whole crowd goes. <gasps> oh oh okay. yeah, P.S. The MacBook Air. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, no, just when when Harry is recapping afterwards. I mean, he'd been tossing and turning in his sleep for hours, which is at you know as it turns out. But when he he recounts that uh, Bethilda was actually spe- or you know um, Bethilda Bag Snake, I should say. Bethilda Bagsnake was speaking parcel tongue, and that's why Harry sort of could understand her and knew that she was saying, come, look at this, that sort of thing. But I, I, I don't think it's actually right that Hermione were, were to let Harry go upstairs alone if she couldn't also hear Bethilda saying those sort of things like, come here and I want you, you know, and all, all, all this other stuff. You know, it, not only did Hermione let Harry go up alone with Bethilda, but she didn't even follow until she started hearing these loud thumps. I mean, if Nagini were, were any kind of, you know, aim or anything, I mean, I, I, if the intent were to be to kill Harry, 
Nagini would have ex- succeeded because Hermione stayed completely downstairs. It, I just don't think it was realistically suspicious. Uh, she wasn't realistically suspicious enough because if, if she couldn't hear Be- uh, Bethilda even speak, or, you know, if she would have heard the slithering, I would have been severely, you know, t- uh, clued in. It's you possible know. they communicated, though, through nonverbal yeah. means. Yeah. Yeah, because there is thinking. that connection that still exists between Voldemort oh, yeah. well, and well, Harry. They, yeah. Perhaps they don't need any sort of verbal communication. But that would be weird, wouldn't it? I mean, you'd immediately know that something was up if Hermione... Because if Hermione, like... Hermione didn't hear a thing. She didn't hear a thing. And maybe she heard some sizzling and didn't realize it. Well, this whole idea is is pretty stupid from the beginning, okay? This kind of goes back to my thoughts on, like, them infiltrating the Ministry. This was just another scene where, like, you know what? You're really... Out of your league. Effing stupid. You know, I mean, you're just going to follow somebody that you never met before You don't talk life, to strangers. Going to their house. But see, at yeah, the same exactly. time, at the same time, they were they were pretty confident that she had the sword. You know, like earlier in the chapter, or the chapter prior, Harry was like, you know, Harry and and Hermione were both like, okay, she must have it. It makes sense. Dumbledore, Dumbledore must have given it to her. So yeah, I think they just got too caught up in the well, moment. Well, really, it's yeah. mostly yeah, Harry. It's I mean, Hermione did w- w- was hesitant first, and usually, like every yeah. time Hermione's first um, reaction is hes- is hesitation, it's usually because you should be hesitant about it. Wait, well, I. I think over time, though, their their lack of knowledge, their lack of things happening, and Ron leaving them kind of makes them put all their eggs in one basket. And I think that's why Harry, when he says, I want to go to Godric Tower, Hermione says, yeah, that's a pretty good idea. Mm-hmm. She kind of says, It was just... Uh, but you're right, Mike. You're it, completely right. It, it's, it's just not a wise decision. And the fact that you brought up, I mean, Harry can clearly hear what she's saying, but it's not like they're having open dialogue. It's not like they're having back and forth conversation. You know, it's it's just a little yeah. bit awkward. Well, I mean, me. I think what worked in the favor was that they knew how old Bathilda was, you know, so they, they thought that when she was kind of gliding on the ice that she might be, you know, but she's a very weak, obviously very old woman who might have the sort of Gryffindor. But just putting Harry and Hermione's failings aside, when Voldemort flies there and ends up in that room it is said in the book that he looks out the window and sees Harry and Hermione as their disguised people running across the field, and that that's where he breaks down and says, No! And obviously he looks down and he gets this nice little consolation prize, which is the photo of Grindelwald, so he can figure out who it is he wants to go after. But he, he sees them running across the field. Why does he not follow them? That is my question. That's my last question. Why doesn't he follow them if he sees them running? Because they he can fly. He can overtake them. Who says they apparate? Hermione's trying to carry Harry. She can't even do. Well, didn't that. they? She didn't has, she say they twisted and they were gone? They yeah, he saw a twist and they were gone, and then he starts screaming. Yeah. Oh, I missed that. Sorry. Yeah, I think she apparated as they like fell out or something. I thought they twisted they their heel out. or something. I, yeah, they clicked their heels three times. Hermione twisted uh, in midair, and the no thundering of the like collapsing home. house rang in Harry's ears as she dragged him once more into darkness. Yeah, they apparated. Uh, into darkness. Okay, that's what I get. Yeah. Sorry, I thought that was like the darkness of behind a tree or something. I was like, <laughs> why is he not going after them? Okay, but I get that. Okay. Um, and the only other thing I would bring up from this chapter is the, the fact of the broken wand, because that plays a huge role. Uh, later I on. like it though. Should the, we play a song uh, for Harry's wand? It, it, well, we should play a even so- though it, it comes back. We should play oh, a well, song and- for Bethilda, actually, because it's confirmed now that she's completely dead. Mm-hmm. What do you guys want to hear? My milkshake brings other boys to the yard. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little out of place. I guess we'll uh, 
jump right into the next segment. But first, it's time for quote quiz. Quiz, quiz, <laughs> quiz, quiz. This is uh, Wayne for uh, chapter 17 this week. And... Uh, 18. No, oh, yeah, sorry. Chapter 18, The Life and Lies of Albus Dumbledore. And the, and the quote is, this is a hard one for all you playing at home. Here are a head case, that Aberforth. It's a quote quiz for you this did, week. Did they mumble too, or was that just you? I didn't mumble. Oh, okay. No, that's what Joe wrote. So we're doing a new segment. We we tested this last week for Laura, uh, Eric, and Elisa. It's it's make the music connection, and we make a, a connection between. We're we're gonna start this week making connection between a song I give you and Harry Potter. Ooh, okay, so okay. it's sort of like make the connection only involves music, and the intro goes like this. It's make the mu- 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 music connection. <laughs> Very nice. Good job. So Eric, Andrew. since you're a nice. lost dork and you have to uh, get out of here, so you're going to give us the song and we're going to have to place it in the series as opposed to us coming up. Yes, with the song. exactly. That, I'm going to give you. That's a, a lot easier. Okay, good. <laughs> I hope. All right, so uh, Eric, this is your first song. Yesterday. Yesterday by the Beatles. Make a connection between this song and Harry Potter. Hmm. That's a really good question. I mean, oh, sorry, this is a really good connection to be made. I think that an instance where this song would be most pertinent, actually... What about write this? I I think a lot of characters are singing this song at different points in the book, um, particularly, <laughs> well, clearly Harry. Plenty of people the night that uh, the night that Voldemort is. You know what? Dumbledore sings this when he goes back to his office after the uh, after the Triwizard Tournament has ended, and Voldemort's back. <laughs> you know, yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away. Okay. <laughs> darn, darn it, he's back again. All right. All right, that's good. Yeah, or Ron sings it. Wait, wait, so what scene was it? Oh, well, okay, then then I'll do the other one. Ron's singing it after he left Hermione. You know, you know, because we read in these chapters that Hermione's crying and stuff all of, you know, all over Ron. Well, that's what Ron is at home or in the bushes by his house singing this song like, why did I have to go and be so dumb and leave? And Sorry, yesterday... Was, you know, yesterday sucked, but I should have left. You know. Okay. Anyway, gotta go. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, bye, Eric. Eric, we'll uh, see you later. Okay. Bye, everybody. Thanks for the great. Bye. 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 Okay. bye. bye. Micah, it is your turn for make the music connection. You ready? Yeah. Let's go. All right. This is your song. Let's do it. Where's <laughs> the Billy Joel? Only the Good Die Young by Billy Joel. Make a connection, sir. Um, I would probably say when when Harry is going through, uh, uh, you know, Hogwarts, and he's looking over the table, and he sees Remus and and uh, Tonks. Because in reality, they're still pretty young, um, you know. Okay. 
but it's kind of a more upbeat <laughs> song, you know? It, it, it has, like, so, some really solemn lyrics, but it's an upbeat song, so I, I don't... It's kind of hard to place that. The, the, the lyrics are terrible if you listen yeah. to it. If you get the meaning of the song, it's terrible. I don't know what it is. I've just heard it's terrible. I can just see Harry running down the, uh, the Great Hall seeing <laughs> Remus and Tonks lying there dead, and then he just breaks out and dances to the song. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. Um, Matt, you're next. Okay. Actually, no. Let's get a girl. Oh. Um, Matt, you're next. I knew it! <laughs> I, knew, oh. I knew you were going to say something. <laughs> Matt's actually hurt, too. Uh, I think. He knew that. It's like Andrew set that up perfectly. I, I was yeah. waiting for someone to say something. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, despite the fact that uh, Matt does have girl attributes. But anyway, Elisa, um, here's your song. Misty Mountain Hop yeah. by Zeppelin. I hear you're a fan. Oh, are you kidding me? Of course. Oh, gosh. That's, well, they're all British. How's that for a connection? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, Misty Mountain Hop. Let me think. I'm going to say that this is Tonks and the Giant Squid's love music. <laughs> That's the connection. <laughs> Okay. All right. Very good. Oh, God. Okay. Um, Laura, you're next. Okay. Keep in mind, uh, I, I, I'm i tailoring all these songs to everyone's interests this week. So. Yeah, I, I'm just guessing what mine's going to be. Laura, Laura may know what's coming. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. This song makes me cry. <laughs> Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Tom grabs you by the wrist, directs you where to go. So make the best time of your life by Green Day. Well, I think there are multiple meanings you can pull out of this song. One of the first things I think of is when Billy Joe says, Time grabs you by the wrist and directs you where to go. Because Harry didn't really have much of a choice with his destiny. It was kind of thrust upon him. And also, if you uh, know anything about Green Day and this song, you know it's actually not a happy song. So, And it's not even supposed to be a nice song. It's actually all kind of sad. So the whole... It makes me think of Harry Potter ending. It makes me sad. So, sadness and Harry's destiny. Okay, good. I like it. All right, and uh, last but not least, Matthew Britton, here's your song. I knew it! A Disney song. Oh. You didn't know it. <laughs> I love when he gets constipated for a second. Uh, Circle of Life. It was written by Elton John, right? Yeah. I think make a connection. God. Um. 
Well, there were animals in it, and our Patronuses are animals, and I got nothing here. Now I'm picturing all the Patronuses coming up on the uh, big mountain with Simba. Um, well, Simba and Harry were both orphans. Yeah. Who had to? Oh, yeah, true. but are, are we making are, are we making a music connection to a, an exact scene in a film or books? It, it could be, be in the film, or you know, or you in, the, picture in the book. A scene I for mean, Deathly I'm Hallows? sorry, in, in, this, a scene in, in in the books. It could be books or movies, whatever. Well, that's what I mean. Okay. Um. Jeez, I have no idea. I'm sorry. Hey, hey Matt, what about Harry or? Simba's parental figure uh, dies to save Simba. Mm. Oh, I got it. And um, oh, not the, well. No, I, I can connect the movies, but not the song. Sorry. Okay, go ahead. No, I was yeah, just. I was, I was thinking because at the very end, when um, Simba and Scar um, starts um, walking <laughs> in circles, it's just like what Harry and Voldemort did at their final showdown. Well, that's true. But the song is just so happy in life, and I, I, I can't really make a circle of life because nothing gets, no one gets killed and then eaten It'd after be a they good get turned song into grass or something. How about that? Yeah, or just the <laughs> opening of the entire series, the prologue. The circle, there we go. The circle of life is that Harry ends up marrying a woman that looks exactly like his mother. <laughs> oh. oh, what kind of fan fiction do you do now, Lisa? <laughs> no, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just saying. I mean, I mean, seriously, a lot of people were making the. I mean, talking about parallels that you know, Harry looks exactly like James, and that Ginny looks exactly like Lily. I mean, I'm not like suggesting anything. I'm just saying, circle of life. There you have it. We're gonna wrap it up today with uh, favorites. Uh, let's see. That, so this week's favorite is what is your favorite movie poster slash DVD cover? And I was I was thinking of that because I was at Best Buy. The other day, and I was just looking at all the um, Harry. I got my sight set on. Oh, sorry, sorry. The hell was that? Just ac- accidentally clicked my top songs playlist. Just ignore me, sorry. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Andrew Sims likes Hannah Montana. It was a complete mistake. I didn't mean to do that. Sorry. Well, the reason why I, I, I thought of this was when I was in Best Buy and I was looking at all the the DVD covers, and I thought, you know, which one's my favorite? And then, oh my god, I should use that as a favorites. So that's why I put it up. I guess we can we can go with what's your favorite DVD cover and what's your favorite movie poster because they they sent there. There's always a lot more movie posters than DVD covers. My favorite has to be from Chamber of Secrets. Uh, there are quite a few promo images I really like from that movie, and I I used to have the movie poster. I don't know what I did with it, but my favorite one is the one with Harry turned on his side. Sort of like he's he's his body's turned aside, but he's looking straight at the camera and he's holding the Gryffindor sword. And then Hermione's in the background with her wand up, looking ready to ready to go. And Juan's like uh, Ron is like a little nervous, but he's also holding his wand. Yeah, is that for the DVD cover or the poster? That's the poster. That's the movie oh, poster. Okay. Sorry, it's a movie poster. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with Andrew. Overall, I really enjoyed all the promotional images and the DVD cover for Chamber of Secrets. I feel like after that, a lot of the promo images kind of dissolved into 
just generic magical type backgrounds mm-hmm. whereas this they brought more attention to the actors and their props and that kind of thing and after that i just felt like all the all the posters kind of looked the same yeah you know which reminds me matt and i were in best buy last week and we were looking at all these and i was just thinking like they're all the same now like yeah. it's all the same you know trio with the wands just yeah. it's it's all the same yeah do something different See, that's why I want to go with Goblet of Fire here on the uh, DVD covers, just by virtue of the fact that it has the other Triwizard Champions on it, despite the fact that they got about 20 minutes of screen time and about half a line each in the movie, but yet they were on the cover. But I still like, I actually I like the poster a lot for that one too, in all seriousness, because uh, the one with Harry and he's standing... Um, it's just him, and it's sort of like his back's to you, and there's all this smoke and mist, and it's really dark. And I think at the top it's something like, difficult times lie ahead, Harry. Do you guys know which one I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah the teaser like, poster. Yeah, yeah, I like that one a lot. It just it was, it was badass. It's like it could be on like the cover of National Geographic or something. <laughs> I was all about it. Yeah. <laughs> for for posters, I mean, I would say I was a big fan of. Uh, the Order of the Phoenix one with, with Voldemort that says, you know, you will lose yeah. everything. Um, yeah. Because I think it started to uh, to take the series in a new direction, obviously, with uh, with Order of the Phoenix sort of being the turning point. Um, I could care less about the DVD covers, to be honest. <laughs> I don't really have, have a preference one way or the other on the, on the DVD covers. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I like what they started to do, and um, you know, bringing up Goblet of Fire before also was a good one. Where they finally started using other people besides the trio, and uh, they're doing that with the posters uh, for Order of the Phoenix, I think. And obviously, uh, or hopefully, you know, Snape will be used for Haplet Prince. Alan yeah, Rick. possibly or something. Um, How about you, Matt? Okay, uh, let's let me see what we can do. Well, my favorite DVD cover, hands down, is definitely Sorcerer's Stone because it's it's very um, it has it, it's, it's almost like a a hand drawn artistic kind of look to it, and it's not it's, it doesn't look like it was photoshopped like in the other DVD covers. And um, oh, it's it's I like the the first film DVD cover the most because it looks like a collage. I like all the things in the film. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish that they did that with all the other ones. And let's see. My favorite poster. I agree with Andrew and Laura about their favorite being Chamber of Secrets because they did have the best um, in advertising. And my favorite poster of that book was – or that movie was uh, when, when they have a silhouette of Dobby in the middle of the street saying Dobby has come to warn you, Harry Potter. Or something. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. That was that, that was I think that was the teaser poster for the film. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. It's it's that poster and the Order of the Phoenix poster when they have the Death Eaters against Dumbledore's army, and they're in that fighting oh, stance yeah. against each other. That's actually really cool. That is very cool. That's my favorite poster of the film See, so far. I didn't really count. Like, I agree. I think that's my favorite like promo poster, like that. But that was never really a movie poster, like. It showed up on gigantic billboards, but I don't actually, know I think I've else. seen it at like Hot Topics. Oh, really? Yeah, you're talking about For Order of the Phoenix, right? I'm talking about For Order of the Phoenix. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is really cool. They have come up with some really cool promo images, like even with the adult actors. Like I love the ones with Snape. Like when they do like they do like five posters, each with a different set of characters. 
mm-hmm. you know, all those. Those are really cool. I guess that wraps up the show today. We've covered a lot. This is a long recording. It's time to remind everyone about our contact information. Laura, uh, where do people send us gold? That'll be P.O. Box 3151, coming Georgia, 30028. No pickles. We all- <laughs> No pickles, please. <laughs> Sorry, pickles not accepted, like in the commercials. Um, you can also call the MuggleCast hotline if you want to contact us when we do voicemails occasionally. Uh, and if you're in the United States, you can dial one two one eight twenty magic If you're in the United Kingdom, you can dial 20 And if you're in Australia, you can dial 02-8003-5668. We also have a Skype username, which is MuggleCast, if you want to contact us that way to leave a voicemail. No matter how you call us, just remember to keep your message under a minute and eliminate as much background noise as possible so, you're so, so you sound clear and beautiful, just like all of us. Uh, we also have a handy feedback form on MuggleCast.com that you can use to contact any one of us or just use our first name at staff.mugglenet.com except for matt who's matthew b at staff.mugglenet.com and uh elisa if someone wants to contact you you are elisa at fanfiction.mugglenet.com right that's correct excellent uh you can also visit mugglecast.com for a variety of community outlets including our myspace we got the facebook the youtube frapper last fm and of course the forums elisa thank you so much for joining us today no thank you for having me would you come on again absolutely of course would you come on like as much as possible hell yeah (laughs) okay so hell yeah (laughs) oh man hell yeah she must really want to um laura i have some news for you i better be getting a severance package if that's what you're saying (laughs) you're fired you're fired i'm andrew sims (laughs) Laura. No, I'm not. I'm not going to outro myself. You just fired me. Uh, I just wanted to plug real quick a site that Laura and Elisa are uh, maintaining. Uh, it's a new site by them. It's a political blog. It's uh, little children cover your ears. It's politicalbitches.com. You guys want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, pretty much. Um, we take the politics and we bitch about them. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, and okay, and a little bit of informing. I recently made like a five million word post about Kosovo, so but it's, yeah. it's interesting because we cross like sailors. If that helps at all, it's really good. and It's really funny. I would not recommend it if you uh, are not one to read adult language. But it's it's very it's a very funny read. Um, yeah, of course they do take actually, a particular <laughs> political stance. So uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> some of you will not be happy. <laughs> We're not going to lie about where we stand. It's just it's really fun for us to do because um, we actually first really talked on election night of '04. So oh, oh that's, that's where our, our political relationship was fostered from. Matt and I can attest to the fact that uh, Laura and Elisa are, are hilarious to listen to. When I was politics. crying, I almost, I <laughs> almost choked. Were. I almost choked on my Big Bacon Classic when we went to Wendy's. I was concerned for their <laughs> yeah. health. <laughs> yeah. And I almost lost it and spit up a uh, Frosty in the back of Elisa's car when <laughs> he, she made a joke about being sent to Guantanamo Bay. Oh, God, that's so funny. I'm not there already. <laughs> One of the funniest moments of my life. Oh, but uh, Elisa, pre- be, be prepared to get several hundred Facebook requests from now on. Just so you know. Sweet. Friend requests. Yeah. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. Bring it on. It's it's fun. Yeah, yeah. More power to you if you want to accept them all. <laughs> Thank you everyone for joining us for this one hundred and thirty third episode. I'm Andrew Sims. 
I'm Laura Thompson. I'm Micah Tannebel. I'm Matthew Britton. And I'm Elisa Montfort. We'll see everyone next week for episode 134. Bye. 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 It rubs the lotion on its skin or it gets the hose again. <laughs> oh, my oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was just saying that to Laura and I am. Oh, wow. Oh, my God. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't know what is going on. And but Andrew, edit, please. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of news, um...